1: This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words.
2: What do you like, listening to? Um, chart music. (laughs) Chart music.
1: You pop craze youngsters, and welcome back to part three of episode sixty seven of chart music. Here I am, Al Needham. There are my friends, Taylor Parks and Neil Culconer, and we are not in the mood to fanny about. So, forward and Payaka, Manango, and then go Saka.
2: Time. They put away their combine harvester and now I want to introduce you to Farmer Bill's Caliban and here are the muzzles. It's an hard life when you're working on the farm. <laughs> Down on the farm, I don't need no alarm.
1: After we get to contemplate the overhead lights for a couple of seconds, we return to Tone, who warns us that it's ooh-ah, ooh time. And then, out of nowhere, the two members of the next band who don't look like a kindly Fred West hove into view and whistle in his ear. It's... Farmer Bill's Cowman by The Wurzels. last. We chanced upon The Wurzels in chart music number 35, where they trotted out their prize number one single, Combine Harvester, in the 1976 Christmas Day episode. Dead lambs being shoveled into plastic bags, etc, etc. This single, a cover of I Was Kaiser Bill's Batman, the single recorded by Whistling Jack Smith, which got to number five in April of 1967, is the follow-up to Give Me England, a self-penned single where they go around Europe and aren't impressed because they don't have Scrumpy or Bingo. (laughs) Realising their mistake, they reverted to the winning formula of taking a well-known tune and fermenting it in a still and put out this from their latest LP, also entitled Give Me England. It's not in the charts yet, but the BBC fucking love the Wurzels for reasons we'll go into later, so here they who are in the studio. That's the only bit of interaction Tony's had with anyone so far in this episode. Why do you think he's being kept away from the kids? It is around about this time that the uh, Top of the Props presenters get a bit more isolated, mm. don't they?
3: Yeah, they usually start off on their own in their
1: little yeah. fortress of solitude, and then
3: over the course of the episode, they're gradually reintroduced to society.
1: <laughs> yeah, like a Godzilla film, isn't it? It's just the same. Godzilla's always on his own. And then about an hour in, Godzilla's surrounded by a load of kids and he's introducing the Wurzels.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, as we'll see later, there's there's a bloody good reason Tony's not allowed near the kids at the moment. Mm. Yeah, as we'll see later.
1: The Wurzels, chaps, it's, it's easy to forget, but they were fucking massive in 1976, 1977, weren't they? A cursory skim of the newspapers of the era reveals the following article from the West Britain and Royal Cornwall Gazette. Headline, Oo, ah! <laughs> Tis strange how folks go for wurzels. The merits of the pop group The Wurzels and the New Seekers were discussed by members of Carrier Council's amenities committee last week Mr. Ashley Hawley Deputy Manager of Cornbree Leisure Centre said the centre made a loss of just under £900 on the New Seekers concert <laughs> Mr. Jim Ham asked how the sale of tickets for the Wurzels concert due to be held on Saturday were going Mr. Hawley said that No only one thousand tickets had been sold <laughs> why can't the new seekers create local interest like the wurzels asked mr ham it was suggested that reports that one of the new seekers girl singers had left might have put people off mr mj gale said his daughters were not interested in the new seekers but were going to see the wurzels it was just the matter of choosing the right people to appear. I think that is the most granular I'll ever get <laughs> on a bit of research. Fucking council meetings from nearly 50 years ago, everyone. Well, they, they were massive. And the
0: thing is, you, you could not avoid them, especially in the year of no. characterful dads. You know, here that here they are. And and mm, and the thing is, yes. even if they stopped having chart success, as they soon do, it doesn't matter. No. They've got the Battle Brush Show to go on. They've got Cheggers Place Pop to go yeah. on. They've got all the summertime oh, yes. seaside specials. So there's just so many shows that they can fill in on and that's why they're kind of a big mm. part of 77, but they're certainly a
1: big part of my memories of this period because they were just yes. fucking everywhere. You're right Neil, people are turning out for that Somerset Sound even when the Wurzels are appearing Here's another article, this time from the Lichfield Mercury, a fortnight from this episode entitled A Night for Some Wurzling Pop group the Wurzels have obviously had a great effect on Lichfield people <laughs> Out of about 300 people who attended Longdon Cricket Club's Wurzel Night at Seedy Mill Farm, at least 60 joined in the spirit and went dressed in smocks and other rustic gear. The Grand Wurzel Night was inspired by the Wurzels, (laughs) famous for their country-style inspired versions of pop songs, and the evening went with a Somerset swing. A challenge to sing a Wurzel song was not taken up, but there was a prize for the worst-dressed couple. The event was in aid of club funds.
0: So this is people turning up, even though the Wurzels aren't going to be there in any way, shape exactly. or form, That's mental. It's incredible, it's isn't the it? the concept of the Wurzels has drawn them there.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're like living Wombles at this time, <laughs> aren't they? And this summer... This puts a tin lid on everything. The Saffron Walden Weekly News reported on a visit at the local Baptist church by two strolling gospel minstrels who performed a Wurzels hit with rewritten lyrics (laughs) entitled, I've Got a Brand New Holy Bible. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's Wurzel time, man. It is. I mean, this song, Farmer Bill's
0: Cowman, this performance, Mm. I mean, this is golden era Wurzels, isn't it, really? Before Mm. the joke has worn completely thin, um, which yes. is just fair. I mean, I think it probably reached its unfunniest nadir on the I Hate JR and I Shot JR yes. singles. Yes. But this is the oh, Wurzels yeah. I remember. I don't remember the Aj Cutler years. And and, and I no. don't think I ever caught an episode of the great Western musical Thunderbox because it was only on HTV. So of course. So this is the Wurzels I do remember. This this kind of yeah. permanent, too sketch of a band.
1: Yes, <laughs> aren't they, they just? Are.
0: Aren't they I mean, it's just a permanent preemption of Spinal Tap sex fire and I'm astonished to learn that yes. they covered that.
1: Yes, extremely well. <laughs> it's a fucking great version. But yeah, you're right, Neil. You, you know, Life After Aj Cutler, that makes the Wurzel the new order of the late 70s, doesn't it? <laughs> so, the single, as we've pointed out, uh, it's a rewrite of a hit that kids didn't give a fuck about, mm. which is good. Mm. And as always, they lean heavily on imaginative reinterpretations of the lyrical motif, ooh ah. In the last single that made the charts, I Am a Cider Drinker, they went for URURA, which does sound to me like a West Country paramilitary organisation. <laughs> yeah, the provisional URURA have played responsibility for the tractor bomb outside the Woodpecker factory last Saturday. The
3: silage bomb.
1: Uh, and this time they've opted for A which sounds like something Scooby-Doo would say to Shaggy when a Frankenstein was lumbering up behind him. So, (laughs) not as good, but, you know, still good enough. As a kid... Neil, what did you think of this? Well, you've already laid your cards on the table, re-Brigas and (laughs) Rustrig. I'm assuming that
0: you'd like this. Well, I did like this. I mean, I I liked the Wurzels anyway because of their cartoonish kind of aspect. I mean, their faces are like they're drawn by Hanna-Barbera. They do have this horrible habit in a way. A a lot of comedy records do this um, in this period that they've got, in a sense, thief from contemporary culture and, and blend it in if you like. Do you remember that kind of comedy music that just uses every everything in combine harvester i seem mm. to recall there's an ad lib where he goes who loves your baby yeah and it's kind of this yeah, co- the performance exactly yeah yeah. Like yeah. yeah yeah but um on top of the pub, which, yeah certainly i remember that kojak ad lib and here in this performance i think they nick john inman's line from are you being served i, th- yes. I think there's a moment where they get i'm free i fucking yes. hate moments like this mm. but they have pushed at this period completely beyond local fame. I mean it's yeah. astonishing when you look at those old singles Drink Up The Zider yes. it sold like 100,000 copies in the West Country or something insane yeah. like that
1: but Blankle, isn't it? at the
0: same time though I enjoyed their appearances on all the different shows that they were on they were pretty much on all the different pop shows mm. you can sense already here that they're running out of songs to parody
1: really aren't they?
0: Yes. <laughs> so yeah the writing's on the wall but I, I would have loved this being on.
1: I mean the lyrical content as always is an uncompromising an examination of rural life. So, there's scatology, uh, violence. Alcoholism, sex, and yes, bovine homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete Bug gets so pissed up on cider that he m- milks a bull, uh, does a bit of Simon Bateson on it, and that <laughs> bull gets turned. Mm. That's what the "I'm free" thing is about. Total joke would have gone over my head, I reckon, uh, nah, as a kid. Not me. I got it straight away. <laughs> your uh, your heritage is Hindu, isn't my it? My heritage girl? is Hindu. Yeah. Would fundamentalist Hindus be offended by a record where a bull gets wanked off? Yeah, they probably would you know
0: i mean you know over there it's nuts in mumbai you know if a cow is walking down the street as they do and just sits on its ass you can't do anything the cars have to avoid it you know you can't move it on very 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 holy about cows and um um, when the vegetarianism kicked in with my dad couldn't have beef burgers for four years man i was gutted (laughs) yeah no this this might not go down well in India, particularly now with the Hindu, the Hindu fundamentalist nutters in charge. So, yeah.
1: So, yeah, Pete Budder be floating in a world of shit and piss and spunk <laughs> he when would. he dies.
0: And toenails and, um, oh, and course, snot yeah, toenails. and yeah, pretty much everything else. Well,
1: there was a diversion. <laughs> yeah, certainly.
0: Didn't expect <laughs> to be talking about that. But the audience reaction is kind of revealing in a sense. I think, you know, it, it, it's only little kids who are going to be digging this. Um, there's a handful of kids amused here, a hell of a lot more totally unamused just stood yes. with their arms crossed. Yes. So, yeah, the writing's on the wall. It's going to be over soon in a chart-topping sense or in a chart-crushing sense. But um, there's still going to be a going concern for several years hence. Um, in kids' imaginations and on crackerjack and everything that they could ever appear on indeed Taylor in you come
1: come on tell me some Worsley stories
3: yeah well I mean if you got a hundred people at random and you ask them who's your favourite pop group of all time Mm. I think most of them would probably say Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, Howe. But if you then ask them who's your second favourite group, undoubtedly almost all of them would say the Wurzels because mm. even today these icons of Britishness make all of <laughs> us feel so proud of the landscape and traditions of our country. I mean, you know, that, that that's a... A joke, right? Uh, they're about as good an advertisement for the British countryside as straw dogs. <laughs> but there's a kernel of truth there. You know, when you go into the British Museum and you right. walk through all the galleries of like ancient art and artifacts from all around the world, and there's all these perfectly smooth jade amulets on leather chains and mm. glittering bird statuettes sculpted from <laughs> solid gold with sapphires embedded all the way around. And then you go into the room with British stuff from the same period, and it's like some mud with a stick in it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like a oh, uh, sign saying, early British figurative art, and it's a bit of rock with a parsnip for a nose, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's not our fault, it's because it's so cold and wet here, you know, just mm-hmm. have to concentrate on survival. And once we'd invented buildings, we managed to catch up. But yeah. there's still something in the British psyche that will revert to that when under stress. <laughs> and, you know, in its way, with its mixture of cowpat brained. Simpleton primitivism and slick showbiz. (laughs) This is a form of authentic English country music. You know, give me (laughs) England, indeed. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's like the if the trogs had been shit, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it it makes me a bit sad because I used to really feel the countryside. You know, I lived mm. there for a bit as a kid, and it was really in me. I used to feel nature <laughs> deep down with a mm. really intense and yeah, almost inexplicable seriousness. Nature Boy Taylor Parks. And nowadays, it's just something I see in the distance from trains passing mm. by. You know, it's like looking out of a window at youth or social democracy. It's like familiar, but far away, made into mm. flat you know, so I sort of thank the Wurzels for reminding me of what it's really like and why I shouldn't go back.
1: (laughs) You know, here we are. It's
3: Jubilee week. Uh, Professional surfs. Mm.
1: I mean, at the time, I'd have been well up for this. Um, I, I didn't know I was Kaiser Bill's Batman, but I fucking hate that tune. It's just proper Carnaby Street cat shit.
3: Yeah, my mate hates that more than anything else in the world. You're good. Late night, they used to show repeats of Beat Club, and there's mm. that clip of, Whistling Jack Ketch on Beat Club, doing this, and it's not even him whistling on the record. No. It's just some bloke dressed up in like a Guardsman's outfit. Uh, my mate, used, his steam used to come out of his ears at how smug this guy looked, mm. considering he's miming to "I Was Kaiser Bill's Batman." It's not yeah. even him.
1: <laughs> no, I can't hear that tune without seeing that fucking mini with Zoom written on the side. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, and those blokes picking out uh, red guardsmen's jackets off yes. a rail. Yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah, you're right, Neil. They are practically full-time BBC employees at the moment, aren't they? They've been on Swap Shop. They're regular guests on the latest series of That's Live. They're on Seaside Special, Ken Dodds World of Laughter, Ronnie Corbett's <clears throat> Saturday Special, Cabaret Showtime, The Basil Brush Show, Sunny Time Saturday, regular guests on the Radio 1 Roadshow, and, of course, Top of the Pops. And, you know, while I was watching this, I, I started to think, why the words? Why are they on BBC all the time? Well... Let me take you back, chaps, to 1972 when Johnny Berlin, the controller of Radio 1, was on a camping holiday in France and he chanced upon a mobile variety show on a stage that was towed from site to site on the back of a lorry. And when he returned back to work, he set about doing a wholesale nick of the idea, but then he discovered that the BBC didn't have anything suitable in their garage to uh, put it on with. So he cast around looking for advice and he ran into a producer from BBC, Radio Bristol who put him in touch with a chap called John Miles not that music is my first love hit maker but the manager of a local band who bought an old furniture van and amended it so it could open out into a mobile stage which was then taken to fairs and festivals right. and when Bailey got in touch he was told that the van had already been sent off to the Knackers yard because it kept breaking down but he'd be happy to build another one on the condition that Radio 1 had it out for the summer and uh, after he made them a scale model of what he wanted made out of Weetabix boxes, Beerlin (laughs) gave his approval. So, Miles located a suitably sized chassis, did a drawing of what he wanted, and uh, he gave both to a local coach builder and let him get on with it. And the result was a portable stage that was able to be towed around the country by a Range Rover, which was driven by his brother, Tone, or Smiler, if you will. And, yeah, that's how the Radio 1 Roadshow came about. And would you happen to know the name of the band that Miles managed? Yeah, the fucking Wurzels, mate. Really? I see. I see. (laughs) Because the BBC looks after its own, doesn't it? (laughs) Indeed. (sighs) It all makes sense. Mm.
3: Anything else to say about this? It's always a bit glum when you look at a band's official website... You start at the news section and the most recent story is from last year and it says one of the bands died of COVID, although he was 80. Yeah. I'm sure at his funeral, they led his empty horse with his wellies backwards in the stirrup.
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but in the lyric section, they include the words to this song. Right, right. The first verse of which ends, Out in the pen there's a broody old hen. Mm. She is as wild as a tiger. You try to touch her egg and she'll bite off your leg... Mm. I feeds her on faggots and cider. Yeah. And depending on your worldview, it's <laughs> either a good, bad, or hilarious thing that the mm. Wurzels have felt the need to put an asterisk next to the word faggots, mm. leading to a footnote <laughs> which clarifies faggots, a dish of chopped liver, etc., made into balls, mm. lest any of the woke snowflakes misconstrue mm. these lines to uh, mean that Pete Bud entrapped. Homosexuals <laughs> and feeds them to his carnivorous hen um, <laughs> it 's just helpful it 's like a little pride flag you know and just just to mm. but except that the very next verse goes, I felt such a fool." tried milking the bull yes. he must have enjoyed it somehow man mm. now every day at three he comes and says I'm free <laughs> that's why I'm farmer Bill's cowman it's every <laughs> red blooded hayseeds <laughs> nightmare <laughs> accidentally pulling on a bull's penis mm. him liking it yeah. and it making him a gay yeah. like John Inman yeah fucking no, I can you imagine oh I oh, only got our for a bucket of milk but it weren't half creamy Ooh, <laughs> (laughs) Oh, yeah, I love drinking that bull spunk. I mean, it's an occupational hazard, isn't it? I suppose
1: it floats on top of your tea, man. It's not good. I think,
0: I mean, (laughs) us being the ATV land people, we've got a natural kind of predilection towards this stuff to a certain extent. Because, you know, our accents are a mix of West Country and then and other stuff. Your accents. uh, Perhaps so. But, yeah, there's a little bit of Uarness around here. I'm very (laughs) close to, like, Worcestershire and places like that, and it's on the downward slope towards that area. Mm. And, you know, faggot and pee batches are very, very popular around here in a rich West Country sort. So, you know... Um, I've always wondered what a West Country source is. I think Taylor's just described how you do it. <coughs> <laughs> maybe so, but may- I mean, maybe that's why I had a sort of slight affection towards this. But yeah, I must admit, I've been moaning about characterful dads. There is something deeply unpleasant about the way Tony introduces this mm. record mm. and the leering looks on the faces of the Wurzels as they practically, pretty much nibble his ears. Yes, it's pretty gross, isn't it?
1: They're whistling mm. in his ears. Um, I can't remember the names, but the one who looks like a partick fist. This- defender and the other one who looks like Rennie's dad
3: <laughs> yeah Tommy Banner and Tony Bayliss the two him. red shirt Wurzels basically yes. yeah they converge <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. Tony yeah, yeah. whistling and he backs away
1: he looks absolutely riven with pain what he, ba- he
3: backs away <laughs> grimacing
1: he reacts as if they've just started whistling the theme tune to Robin's Nest <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, what it's meant to be, he backs off grimacing to suggest that they stink, right? Like they got mm, bad breath. Or
1: they're horrible.
3: I'm just saying, we know that unlike Richard O'Sullivan, Tony couldn't act. And that mm. is a, a very convincing halitosis recoil.
1: It was a really good introduction because they hove into view and Tony kind of like withdraws. And then all of a sudden Pete Budd rises up from under the screen, pointing into the distance. It looked brilliant. <laughs> I do like Pete Bud. he does look really friendly he's got a lovely voice as well, well he is like an older more rural Dave Bartram isn't he <laughs> they've got that same kind of bell shaped haircut yeah.
3: well the secret of the Wurzels I think is their believability mm-hmm. I mean everyone concentrates <laughs> on Pete Bud the leader of the Wurzels mm. because he looks like a Beano drawing come to life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. whole band are genuinely unnerving, right? Any one of mm. them away from the stage, you could imagine meeting on a rural walk <laughs> and it would be just him standing there smiling vacantly next to another bloke who does all the talking, who looks at you mm. suspiciously and he's holding a shotgun. Yeah. And he says, occasionally cocks his head towards the Wurzel and says, he don't much care for newcomers. Sometimes he forgets his manners. I'm thinking here mostly of Tony Bayliss, uh, nature's cruelest and most powerful mistake. He crushed a tender young bloom in his fist but it was his way of loving. (laughs) It's terrible, though, isn't it? You see the Wurzels here, and they're all rosy-cheeked smiles. Mm. But, you know, chances are one barren autumn, one moonless night round the back of the grain silo, shoot the dog first, goodbye, my lovely, bang, and (laughs) leaving a scene of carnage back at the farmhouse, and then it'll be 12 boar in the mouth, no hesitation, and... (laughs) He'll decorate the galvanised steel behind his yeah. head with the valueless jelly that he had been keeping in it. And somewhere in the distance, there's seven new people born. There is a slight terror
0: of the countryside, which is part of the Wurzel's appeal, I think. I mean, they're hearing a big smoke, but, but yeah, but you don't know the darkness that they're going back to. I think that that, that, no, but that is part of it. The West Coast, I mean, I spent about a weekend recently. Um, in East Anglia, which I've never been to before. And it was spooky as fuck. The countryside has always terrified me. But this, you know, East Anglia was particularly terrifying. But this is it. Who knows what the Wurzels are going back to exactly um, where, you know the west country was i'm, I'm not saying it's a mysterious zone but it did exert that kind of mystery to it um whenever i got down to devon or cornwall on holiday it was a bit spooky and um the words was, keep that in their faces basically you don't see faces like that in the city they could only be born in somerset or from that area so yeah there is that slight darkness to um what the hell are they going back to once their pop business is done um in the big city appearing on Top of the Pops you know that long drive back to Devon their farmsteads and homesteads all of that still spooks the shit out of me and they are realistic they're not um, city boys dropped into farming schmocks you do sense that much as you know most burgers that you have at Glastonbury have animal feces in them these guys probably have got a bit of shit on their shoes Um, you know there's that realism to them which, which I think appeals
3: it was terrible by the time they found him his neck stump had been licked down to almost <laughs> nothing.
1: <I
4: can. laughs>
1: Yeah, they're spinning a total myth about the bucolic lifestyle of the farm. Because about a year from now, our class in junior school gets took out for a trip to the farm. And of course, Wurzel songs got sung on the coach. And, you know, Mm. there was kind of like great anticipation amongst the youth that although we might not see the Wurzels there that day, we were going to see people just like them in smocks and pitchforks. But, oh dear, those illusions were totally shattered when Mm. we got there to realise that. Everything fucking funked of animal <laughs> shit. And it goes without saying that there were no Wurzels or Wurzelikes in attendance, just some chunky blokes who looked absolutely fucked off about being stared at by some junior school council comes, <laughs> and my teacher thought it'd be a great idea to take a tape recorder and hand it round the kids so we could record an oral diary of the day and uh, he played it back to us the day afterwards and uh-huh. and what was heard on that tape was me refusing point blank to walk through a barn and then try heaving and fighting not to cry when sir me <laughs> through it and then us looking at some cows in a field and one of them rearing up and landing on the back of the other and Michael Hall shout Ah, oh, sir, look at them cars bumming! <laughs> bummer cow. <laughs> yeah, bummer cow. And the tape concludes with us standing next to the pigsty, which was properly ranked. Oh, God. Yeah. By this yeah. time, you can hear on the tape that I'd absolutely fucking lost it. Now, this is the era of Prince the Dog on That's Life, and you can actually hear me manhandling the tape recorder off some youth, going up to the pigs and shouting, (laughs) SAUSAGES! SAUSAGES! (laughs) SAUSAGES! And by this time, I'm lying completely face down on the desk with my arms over my head, totally shamed up, and I've never been to a farm since, so, yeah, thanks,
0: Wurzels. No, I mean, mean, the realities of the farm are something that the Wurzels don't really talk about their idea of farming. It's not the brutal, inhumane, angry business that is actually going on, you know? No. Which would probably lead to entirely different type of music.
1: Yeah, it's just getting pissed, moving some shit from one end of the barn to the other, and then uh, getting k on Scrumpy and trying to get your end away.
0: That sounds appealing, whereas, I don't know, having a job where you get a box of freshly hatched chicks and throw them into some machine that destroys them um, (laughs) would lead to, I don't know, some proto-industrial merc in the mid-70s, I guess. But, yeah, the world wasn't ready for
3: it. Ah, you're a bunch of soft city
1: boys. (laughs) (laughs) So, two weeks later, Farmer Bill's Cowman entered the charts at number 45, then entered the top 40 at number 39, and a week later got to number 32 its highest position the follow-up a tune for their favorite football team called one for the bristol city failed to chart but they went back to the formula and put out a cover of the push song called the tractor song which also failed to chart and this remains their final appearance on top of the pops
0: oh, probably man. for the best just just a warning by the way to the pop crazy youngster do not seek out the b-side to the tractor song funky farmyard oh it's so disappointing isn't it, it? it is it it's just not funky in any way whatsoever disappointing
1: no. yeah i was expecting a bit of bill oddy style yeah or a bit so
0: what, what's that meters track Seahorn's Farm or whatever it's called um, yeah, yes. something like that but no it's it's resolutely unthinking. No,
1: after trying once again to do a bit of Euro bashing with I'll never get a scrumpy ear in 1979 and then jumping on the Dallas bandwagon with the double A side I hate JR I love JR in 1980 they got all urban in 1983 with Wurzel rap <laughs> but all <laughs> failed to chart. have you heard that uh, no I actually
0: I, I avoided it I did see it but i just thought playlist everyone yeah i'll check it out
1: (laughs) however they resurfaced as a student union act in the early 90s and a re-release of Combine Harvester got to number 39 in November of 2001 and their cover of Don't Look Back in Anger got to number 59 in December of 2002. <laughs> oh, Neil, oh, Neil have you? Have no, you? of course I bloody am. I bet it's better than the fucking Oasis. Sure. I mean, presumably
0: they've adapted the lyrics um, in a or style E. No, no. It's just a straight cover. Yeah. Why the fuck would I want to do that to myself?
1: After putting out Make Hay, Not War for the Stop the War movement in 2003, <laughs> they went back to Basics with a re-recording of I Am A Cider Drinker with guest vocalist Tony Blackburn, <laughs> which got to number 57 in May of 2007. They're still active today and share the same manager with which other band? Oh. White House? (laughs) The Stranglers. slimy Neil? Yeah? You know what I'm going to ask? I think I do.
3: Something about the catering. The
1: Wurzels or the Stranglers? Who would you have a sandwich of? Um, Oh, man.
0: (laughs) I mean, they're both Gross. But, yeah, with the fear of uh, genuine faecal contamination from the Wurzels.
3: Bread all soggy with cow placenta. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I think I've got to go Stranglers. Wow. Mm. Fucking hell. You've got to consider, though, from the Wurzels, is going to be farm fresh. Mm. Yeah, but farm fresh is
0: often gross, to be honest West with you. West
1: Country sauce. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'd have brains faggots in a West Country sauce off the Wurzels, so long as they assure me that they're just putting it in a microwave. (laughs) Um, Anything that they have touched. No, they're farm folk. (laughs) They don't know cleanliness. (laughs) Neil! (laughs) No, you know, it's the country way. I feel so apologetic to our rural... No, no, no,
3: no. your stomach hardens to that stuff after a few years. This is it. Bacteria just die like dogs in there.
0: Yeah, my air con in my car, right, is fucked. So um, when I was driving through the countryside... I'm away to Norfolk. Of course, I was hit by those gusts of chicken shit and pig shit. You know, the Mm. really bad stuff. And, you know, because my aircon's full, there's no point closing the window. So I just had to, you know, brave it. Um, But these countryside folk, you know, you just get used to it, don't you? They they are completely inured to that stuff. So, you know, during sandwich preparation... Who knows what the fuck will be going in there? Who knows whether they've cleaned... Oh, look, I'm not saying everyone in the countryside is a dirty, disgraceful bastard, but (laughs) (laughs) the Wurzels are committed rural folk and, Mm. yeah, I'd be dubious about proper contamination from animals, uh, animal shit, basically. So, yeah, yeah, although the Stranglers are grubby bastards as well, um, I don't think they've got, um, you know, pigs in their back garden or anything. So yeah, right. gotta go, gotta go, stranglers. I'm afraid.
1: So pop crazy youngsters, if you read in the news about a cow being thrown off a bridge onto someone's <laughs> car on the outskirts of Coventry soon, that'll be Neil. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just have a look at this. Guess who it is? You're absolutely right. Gladys Knight and the Bips. And this one called Baby Don't Change Your Mind.
1: Tony, alone again, naturally. Decides to turn the show into an episode of Who's Baby, as we see a photo of a toddler who's so obviously the front woman of the next group, followed by a photo of her and her mates with Ed Sullivan, as he finally introduces Baby Don't Change Your Mind by Gladys Knight and the Pips. We covered Gladys, a brother Bubba, William Guest and Edward Patton in chant music number 18 when they took Midnight Train to Georgia to number 10 in June of 1976. Since then, there have been a steady presence in the lower reaches of the top 40 over here, but this single, the follow-up to Nobody But You, which got to number 34 in January of this year, written by Van McCoy and the lead cut from the LP Still Together, sees the group sniffing the wind, recognising the gamey tang of disco and scampering after it it entered the charts a fortnight ago at number 33 then soared 11 places to number 22 this week it's only nudged up one place to number 21 but no matter because here is the video i really like tony's uh link here where he says
3: uh i'll be watching what he does with that pitchfork i tell yes. you because although it's not a very clever or funny remark It Mm. does make you think how incredibly exciting and memorable it would have been if Tommy Banner had actually leapt off the stage, (laughs) pushed through the audience and rammed his pitchfork up Tony Blackburn's arse, Mm -hmm. causing Tony to throw back his head and scream with pain. So both Mm. prongs of the pitchfork emerged, tearing (laughs) through his exposed (laughs) throat and showering the cheering audience with blood and tissue. And... uh, Tommy Banner whispers, you was right to worry, young man, <laughs> as he performs a unspeakable pagan rite on the body. And up in the gallery, they're getting calls telling them to cut the feed, and Robin Nash is screaming, don't cut, don't cut, we're <laughs> staying live. This is sensational stuff. <laughs> no, uh, at home, Tessa Wyatt is watching it with Richard O'Sullivan, and they're mm. both laughing. Anyway, that's yeah. what Tony was worried about. Mm. I think he needn't worry quite so much.
0: Have you been watching a lot of um, Italian folk horror movies of late, uh, Taylor?
3: No more than usual.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, this video, it's uh, it's 70s video cliché number two, isn't it? The band having fun in the studio. Even though the entire film is, is just set in a, a massive couple of boxers, you still got that American vibe off it. And, you know, by this time, 1977, any bit of film about America, even if it's just a studio, is thrilling oh, without a doubt. to
0: the youth, isn't it? I mean, by American standards, this is actually kind of a budget video, you know? Yes. But after the Wurzels, <laughs> <Yes>. oh, God, <laughs> my God, yeah. what a magical otherworld America looks like. Yes. I mean, I love this song, the Van McCoy yes. production tilts them towards disco like you said it's not wholeheartedly disco yet i don't think no it keeps but it's, the, it's getting there it's isn't getting it? there and it keeps the Motownness and the soul and it's just a great track and, and and fundamentally i mean as ever with with black american pop from the 70s i'm not saying cmp contributors have to stand down in a sense but it, it's tricky because the sense of relaxation that happens with american artists when a camera is pointed at them is just mm. totally different british yeah. bands in a video like this would feel the need to prove their relaxation By by, sort of gamely, sort of grinning along. But Gladys Knight and the Pips, they just have it. They're Gladys Knight and the Pips for fuck's sake, and good on them, really, in a way for sending a video because I think by now the Pips and Gladys had twigged sort of just how odd the British are, Mm. and and I think it would have been that they kind of always dressed down a little bit for their TOTP appearances, and I think you know it would have been frankly undignified for them to follow the Wurzels No, so so this video is a delight, but it's accompanied for me watching it with a sense of Christ what to say about this because it's just wonderful Um, it's just a wonderfully produced record with a a great little budget video
3: with it as well yeah yeah. luckily this was before anyone had heard of homosexuality (laughs) except the Wurzels and it was unexceptional and it's only mildly fabulous to see grown men with moustaches wearing tennis shorts Mm. and dancing in formations and doing exercises Mm. together. Yeah, with the t-shirts
1: all rolled up and everything, exposing the midriff. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Socking each other on the arm, no doubt. Talking about the ladies when Gladys is out of the room. Mm.
0: I love those shorts. I love those shorts. Those Jimmy Connor shorts are really strong, yet as Taylor said, highly camp look.
1: (laughs) At the beginning, we see them kind of like doing a bit of a dance routine, being taught by someone standing behind them in a vest, and uh, yeah, they they do look like they're about to go roller skating afterwards, aren't they? <laughs> yeah,
3: but they look like they're having so much yes.
1: fun. Yes, yeah.
3: Like nobody that age or nobody who looks that age uh, ever has that much fun no. without a bit of an edge on it. Mm. Do you mm. know what I mean? But the pips look like they don't have a care in the world. Only blue skies for the pips. Mm. Yeah, and Gladys looks really cool in her sportswear yes. as well. Mm. and it's a shame because then she gets sort of frumped up a bit for mm. the main bit you know where they're in civvies in, in the studio and all that whereas the pips you're kind of grateful when they're back in the slacks yes. you know? mm.
1: yeah I mean to a nine year old like me it was obvious that being Gladys Knight and the pips was the fucking best doss in the world they have a bit of a sing then they have a bit of a dance and then you know there's a couple of blokes lingering in the doorway watching on and then we cut to the uh, other side of the glass and there's two blokes behind a mixing desk one of whom is the absolute dead spit of ron o'neill in superfly and they're watching gladys knight and the pips perform and they have a bit of a chat to each other i mean i don't know what they're saying but it's bound to be words to the effect of fucking hell this song is mint and on our live skill
0: yeah uh, yeah yeah and they've got the best headphones in the world oh these yes massive red
4: headphones
0: <laughs> yes so, um, and i don't know whether they've been told to hold the headphones in a certain way because they all kind of hold not over their heads but kind of under their chins
1: yes like a giant telephone yeah 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 the kind of phone that busby had on
0: top of that telegraph pole indeed but they're instantly deeply covetable these objects Mm. these red headphones they really catch the eye but the whole look of it it's just instant you're propelled to this magical land called america Mm. and after the words fuck me you need that
3: yes i mean they're on the way out here really Mm. they've got one foot in a chicken basket yes they got a couple of sunset hits ahead yeah But that's about it. Mm. I mean, this is sort of their last hurrah. But this is so great. It's just one of those records that sounds like it came off a production line in the best possible way. You know, like everyone involved knew exactly what they were doing and just did it without any fuss, Mm. you know. And it's another one of the few 1977 records that I think I remember from the time as well. It stuck in my head because of that moment where half the instruments drop out Mm. on the chorus Mm. and the vocal melody is doubled by the string section, which is a trick they used to use on a lot of American records at the time, just underlining the hook. Um, We talked about the same thing on Silver Lady by uh, Mm. David Soup, I seem to remember. (laughs) It really does weld a chorus onto your brain. And the chorus sort of needs it because it's not an especially strong tune, but it sounds heavenly because it's Mm -hmm. done with that effortless American sophistication and gloss which 70s British records could never replicate you know British records could do cold dry strings in a way that you would never ever hear on an American single Mm. which is brilliant but they also could never get that brimming over pearly gate sound that you get from philly soul and late 60s early 70s motown and stuff like this
0: yeah Mm. and these moments are important in any episode of top of the pops because they're just transportation away midway through this song you know you've forgotten about the fucking jubilee you've forgotten about top of the pops and tony blackburn to be honest with Mm. you and you know you're completely immersed in it so it's magical
1: and it's the first bit of proof in this episode that there is life after motown for a lot of acts. Yeah, as we're gonna see again later. Mm. Yeah. So the following week, baby don't change your mind jumped seven places to number fourteen and three weeks later got to number four, its highest position. The follow-up, Home is Where the Heart Is, got to number 35 in October, and they'd make their last appearance in the top 20 when Come Back and Finish What You Started got to number 15 in August of 1978. That's a fucking tune. Very much so, yeah. By which time the group had fallen out with their new label, Buddha Records, and were forced to record as two separate entities until their deal ran out. They eventually signed a new deal with CBS in 1980, but the hits dried up over here and they parted ways in 1989.
0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash Achieve today.
2: Well, there you go. You're probably wondering what this uh, little bit of string is here. Well, I'll tell you what will happen. If I pull this bit of string, two things will happen. First of all, some balloons will fall down on Neil Innes, who will then sing a number, Silver Jimmy. Let's see if it works, will we? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, silver jubilee. Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, God save you and me.
1: Tony, standing next to a tatty bit of string, tells us that when he pulls it, some balloons will fall down from the ceiling and the next act will do their bit. He does, and by God... We're thrown into Silver Jubilee by Neil Innes. Born in Danbury, Essex in 1944, Neil Innes was a fine art student at Goldsmiths in the early 60s when he joined the Bonzo Dog Dada Band, a rotating collective of art school sorts who took the piss out of trad jazz cover versions in local pubs and college balls. As the only trained musician in the group, he whipped them into some semblance of a band and they made their TV debut playing Won't You Come Home Bill Bailey" on Blue Peter. They signed a deal with Parlophone, but after the success of the new vaudeville band, a group of session musos put together to record Winchester Cathedral, the bonzos were invited to inherit the name for a tour, which they all turned down by their trumpet player Bob Kerr, which gave Innes the opportunity to convince the band to drop the old stuff and steer them towards the new sounds of the mid to late 60s. On December the 23rd of 1967, they became the resident band on the new Thames television kids show Do Not Adjust Your Set, which introduced them to Eric Idle, Terry Jones and Michael Palin. And three days after that, they appeared in the Beatles film Magical Mystery Tour on BBC Two. After myriad TV appearances and a string of sessions for John Peel's Radio 1 show Top Gear and a punishing gig schedule, they finally made it big in late 1968 when Urban Spaceman, written by Innes and co-produced by Paul McCartney, got to number five for three weeks in November. After touring America in 1969, they decided it wasn't any fun anymore, and they split up in January of 1970, and his and Viv Stanshaw spent the early 70s in bands such as Freaks with Keith Moon on drums, and Grimm's, a collaboration with members of The Scaffold, and he also put out his debut LP, How Sweet to be an Idiot, in 1974. Later that year he reunited with Idol, Jones and Palin as a fill-in of sorts for John Cleese in the final series of Monty Python and wrote songs for the film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. In 1975 he and Idol starred in the BBC Two sketch show Rutland Weekend Television which featured a song called I Must Be In Love which was performed by a band called the Ruckles. By 1977, he's working up a film script and a soundtrack for the forthcoming Ruckels film All You Need Is Cash, and has just put out his second LP, Taking Off, this April. But while being interviewed by the BBC World Service, he was challenged to make up a song on the spot about the Silver Jubilee, and this is it it's been rushed out by his label Arista Records and it's not in the chart yet but Robin Nash is clearly looking for a hook to hang his oversized Jubilee hat on and this will do very nicely leading to Inez's first appearance on Top of the Pops since he wore a ball gown to perform Urban Spaceman nearly nine years ago and all chaps were instantly thrown into the Top of the Pops of 1982 aren't we without the Zoo Wankers <laughs> I mean if my If Michael Hurl had been asked to organise a National Front demo, it would probably look like this, wouldn't it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, this almost cancels out the ruttles. I mean, obviously, the key factor, the main characteristic of this record, and also the main problem with it, is that you watch it. And even if you're very familiar with Neil Innes and his work... It's impossible to work out how it's meant mm. or how you're supposed to take yeah. it. Mm. Yeah, Because clearly he's not hailing the Queen with an expression of murderous intensity. No. But it doesn't sound like he's having a go either. Mm. No. Um, and as usual, he's just standing there looking underwhelmed, mm. uh, a little sheepish and uh, incorrigibly morose. So you won't find any clues in his facial expression. No. And generally... um broadly in favor of not being able to tell how sincere somebody is on a record yeah. because it allows discussion and it encourages you to think a bit but here it's it's a bit annoying yeah and i mean yeah. a big part of Neil Innes's aesthetic and the bonzos and to a certain extent monty python is this sort of baffled ironic mildly alienated distance from the world Mm. um, which creates this kind of perpetual satire but at the level of a lack of seriousness and an inability to be po-faced about anything Mm. which people never tire of pointing out is a very comfortable middle-class old world way of seeing things because you don't have the complication of any of of those things being a direct threat to you Mm. even though That wasn't the background of everyone involved in those groups but it was the reality of their lives. And in the context of comedy, that can work very well. You know, like the best satire of the ruling classes tends to come from the children of the ruling classes, Mm. uh, or used to. But I'm not sure it works so well in Mm. the song, because this isn't comedy, it's just whimsy. And so all the protections and defences that comedy has just fall away, and and you're just left thinking, yeah, but what are you doing? It's Mm. like your half-raised eyebrow... As you sing a deliberately trite song about the queen's silver jubilee suggests that you don 't really mm. care either way, no. perhaps you don't dislike royalty, but you 're aware of the, the silliness of the whole palaver. Mm. but it doesn 't work even as a sort of dryly equivocal take because you 're doing it right here and now in this yeah. context yeah, yeah, yes. exactly which tips you over into an ironic celebration because that's the way the current is moving and you've decided to step into the current and not swim
1: or, or his record labels decided he's going to do that
3: oh uh, yeah but the end result is there you are on TV waving a very small union jack
0: mm. and it, it's kind of upsetting in a, I mean it's fucking shit this record I don't mm. like the equivocation yeah, 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 yeah. of it but I mean you yeah, know I do think I mean in is, is a great hookmeister he can knock out a pop song I mean I know said he did this as a bet but fuck me we just did not need this yeah it's a bet that we lost well yeah and we he does great cod reggae yeah you know that if you listen to the section about medieval open field farming systems in Monty Python's (laughs) the background to history he does great cod reggae Mm. and I guess some of the rhymes here are are kind of pleasing you know saluting with highfalutin and that but I mean Mm. I I love Neil Innes but this you know he was part actually Neil Innes sidetrack of one of the best gigs I've ever seen I went to see Tango at Warwick Arts Centre once and they had a couple right. of guests on stage with them one of them was Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3 <laughs> and the other one was Neil Innes and he wow. was wonderful he was playing their Together songs he was last. also playing Spaceman 3 songs he even did Urban Spaceman but this is surely an idea I mean thinking of ex-bonzos if you want a picture of class um, at this time in British society and culture, probably dig into Viv Stanchel's, uh, Sir Henry at Rawlinson's end LP that comes out from mm, the year yeah, after yeah, this yeah. and maybe the film from 1980. But Taylor's exactly right that, that there's this equivocation in this song. Is he taking, the, he's not quite taking the piss. Mm. You know, at any other time, I guess I'd tolerate it, but. In the thick of the jubilee, it's a time to call sides, in a sense. And he hasn't done so. <laughs> no. And I, I don't like seeing Neil Innes do this, because I like Neil Innes a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd see how this would work on the end credits of Rutland Weekend Television or the Innes Booker Records, where you can actually control the visuals. But mm. here on top of the pops, he can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: and the crowd's frenzy and the flags and the balloons mm. and stuff do not help it. They make it look like he is, yeah, in celebration, whereas the, the lyrics are a little... You yeah, know, more nuance than that,
1: and he's not dressed up either. I mean, if it if it had turned up dressed as the Queen, that might help. But <laughs> he looks very poor, yeah. Simon, doesn't he? In his dress, he's got this mm. baggy suit jacket on and a white flat cap. Yeah. And of course, we've got the heavy duty discipline of the top of the Pops orchestra.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the cap is to uh, hide evidence of a hair transplant. Oh, Unfortunately, right. Unfortunately, he was the donor. Right. <laughs> the thing is, it's not surprising that. This is where Neil Innes has ended up, mm. sort of, kind of, almost, sort of, celebrating the Queen, because, spiritually, a big part of his work was a kind of melancholic distrust of progress, mm. and, you know, he was like Terry Jones out of Monty Python, he liked natural things, mm. and old stuff and like you know real ale and things he was distrustful of anything too organized or too cerebral or too manufactured and Mm. in his book of records is full of that all this sort of little man in the modern world you know retreating into magic and imagination Mm. which can be lovely but in the wrong context it can easily seem reactionary or at least in sympathy with a reactionary position.
1: This is the first time he's been on top of the pops in 7 years. It's like oh fuck where's the dolly birds on the gantry <laughs> Who
0: are these kids? It is weird, isn't it? And mm. and there's not many other performances on top of the pops in this period that I can think that are not the performances but the crowd dynamic that mm. are quite like this. You're very right to point out that it is a. It's prophetic of kind of an eighties top of the pops in a
1: way. Mm. And it's unbelievable that none of them Ruckle songs charted because they were fucking brilliant. Yeah, he never made a penny out of any of them, of course. Mm. Yeah, but he did make a ton off Oasis <laughs> yeah, for them ripping yeah, yeah. off "How Sweet to Be an Idiot" mm-hmm. along with Gary Glitter. Yeah, good old Noel giving a Peter <laughs> a million pounds. <laughs> well played, mate.
3: Yeah, I tend to prefer Neil Innes's. Uh, collaborative work to his solo stuff, partly because that sort of vague whimsy and distracted sweetness doesn't really do that much for me. Like, he was brilliant in the Bonzos because he provided the platform and the guardrails for mm. Vivian Stanshaw, you know. And he was great working with Monty Python because of his grasp of the detail of music mm. and what sounds like what and what should go where to create this or that effect, yeah. right, which it, which went brilliantly with Monty Python's least discussed superpower, which was the incredible eye for the detail of, for instance, English archetypes or styles of television presentation. Like, people forget this now because TV doesn't look like this anymore. But in 1969, 1970... Monty Python's parodies of TV looked as uncannily, almost unbelievably precise and accurate as the day-to-day did in 1994. Mm. Mm. So when they added music to that, they needed someone with the same observational skills. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like Neil just mentioned, the best bit of Monty Python's matching tie and handkerchief LP is that sketch, which if you haven't heard it, the only joke is that it's like a, an open university broadcast or like a highbrow radio lecture about the medieval open field farming mm. system. <laughs> and they introduce various eminent history professors. Uh, uh, Professor Tofts of the University of Manchester puts it like this, and each one sings their bit to a different kind of pop tune. And there's a reggae track, a glam rock track, roar, roar. sort of. <laughs> framework, framework. <laughs> and so this is just an obviously contrived palin and jones sketch where you put two incompatible things together so they spark and undermine each other's seriousness mm. and then the sketch writes itself but it's not even a funny idea it's only funny because of how convincing and well judged and well observed neil Innes's music yeah. is mm. yeah and it sets up Michael Palin as the professor of medieval studies at Cambridge doing an uncannily accurate impression of a stoned rock star being interviewed on the Old Grey Whistle Test, which is possibly his greatest ever acting performance. But the point is, there aren't any jokes. It's just playing with formula and context. Mm. And Neil Innes one of the very few musicians you could trust to get all of that precisely Mm. right, Mm. which you need to, or the whole thing dies, and and it's just not funny. You know, which is obviously also why he ended up doing the Ruttles. But his own material, I mean, the only song of his that I like, you know, or that I love let's say, in that sort of slightly sad, whimsical style mm. is How Sweet to Be an Idiot mm. all the other songs of his I like are uh, uh, Dead Straight, you know, yeah. the Ruttle songs and yeah, uh, you know, I watched the Inns Book of Records a few years ago and yeah. God bless him, it dragged a little I didn't mm. like it as much as I really wanted to, mm. because again a lot of it is stuff where you can't quite work out the point or what he's trying to do which should be interesting mm. But too often you just end up with the impression that actually there is no point yeah. and he's not really trying to do anything at all. He's
1: just singing a song mm.
3: which, you know, is fine. It's fine. But this this is not a pretty sign. No. No.
1: <laughs> Sailing on the Yacht Britannia, no one in the world would ban ya. Well, I can think of a yeah. few pubs on the Falls Road that might have issues with that. <laughs> and nowadays, a few schools might turn a son away. Yeah,
3: it's a line that's been left behind by time a bit, hasn't it, that mm. line?
1: So, the following week, Silver Jubilee failed to chart and never would. The follow-up, the Bob Dylan pastiche protest song, also failed to chart and he never troubled said chart ever again. Two years after this performance, he returned to BBC Two with three series of the Innis Book of Records, a collection of music videos of his own songs, and then spent the 80s as the host of the ITV kids' show The Book Tower, played the magician in Puddle Lane, and wrote and narrated the cartoon series Raggy Dolls. And he died in 2019 at the age of 75. Dolls like you and me Don't you know (laughs) Made in (laughs) perfectly
4: Queen Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth Still my jubilee Queen Elizabeth
2: you're all having a really lovely uh, jubilee week we're having a fabulous time here at top of the pops hope you're enjoying all the music uh, we're going to change tempo a little bit right now we're going to have a bit of that sort of uh, bit of rock for you now in the shape of the stranglers and this one <laughs>
1: Still in his realm of solitude, suddenly notices that the camera's on him again, and he expresses his hope that our Jubilee week hasn't been a crushing disappointment, ruined by your dad constantly going on about how elvis is the fucking king <laughs> he then warns us that a change of pace is imminent and tells us we're going to have a bit of that sort of uh bit of rock for you <laughs> because he can't even bring himself to say punk yeah that's exactly what's going through his head yes <laughs> yeah to tony blackburn
0: but saying punk is as good as saying fuck isn't yeah, it's it? sedition. You can't say punk. No. That's exactly his thought process. He, I mean, and, and as ever with Tony, not hiding his disgust.
1: He introduces Go Buddy Go by The Stranglers. We've dealt with the happy-go-lucky, squeaky-clean former Guildford Stranglers on numerous occasions and this, their second single, is the follow-up to Get a Grip On Yourself, which got to number 44 in March of this year and should have done better were it not for the British Market Research Bureau, the compilers of the official chart, somehow mistakenly taking a chunk of the Stranglers' sales and lumping them onto Everyone's Talking About Love by Silver Convention, he said. placing his hand on his chin. (laughs) It's actually a double A side with Peaches, which features on their debut LP, Rattus Norvegicus, which came out in April and is currently at number seven in the album charts. But seeing as the subject matter is about Hugh Cornwall dossing on the beach looking at women's arses, and the cover of the single depicts a hand pulling at the back of a pair of pink knickers that have been put on a peach, Radio 1 forced them to put out a radio edit. And don't want it on top of the pop's It entered the chart three weeks ago at number 37 and only nudged up one place to number 36 a week later. But that didn't stop Top of the Pops from issuing an invite as long as they played the song on the other side, which involves John-Jacques Burnell encouraging his mate to stop being a warflower at a club and get stuck into all the punky crumpets and being delighted (laughs) to see him with a chicky on his knee at the end of the song, which helped it jump nine places to number 27 and this week it's moved up four places to number twenty-three, and here's a repeat of that performance a fortnight ago, chaps. Let's deal with peaches first, because to my mind that's the far superior song. Yeah. The, the only thing about it, it, it reminds me of that HP sauce advert that Frankie Howard did with the uh, couple in the seaside postcard with a fat bloke with a tash perving on women while his wife doesn't <laughs> know. <look. laughs> oh, HP, you've got to admire their
0: sauce. It, I mean, it would have made. Friends- a better top of the pots appearance. Yeah. Yes. Um, whether oh, it was imagine band, legs and coats uh, That's that. exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, uh, legs Probably and dressed up as giant record.
1: peaches. <laughs> well, one of them dressed as a massive banana running round after them. <laughs> No doubt. Played by Dave Lee Travis. This song is less good. It's interesting, though,
0: this. I mean, listening to the demo of this song from 76, because before, you know, the Stranglers even got signed, they demoed this song, and it's totally different. It's like a slower pace, a sludgier sound because it's a demo, but Mm -hmm. you can at least hear an attempt uh, with the hand claps and the harmonies on it to sound, I don't know, professional. Yeah, Um, This has been... It's kind of been professionally scuffed up. Yeah, it's been punked up a bit, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because of punk completely, much like the whole band has. There, there is um, a deliberate fuck you amateurism to their performance here. Yes. Because they swap instruments and yes. they take all the strings off their guitar. And, ah,
1: yes, yes, I was yeah, wondering about that.
0: I think it's JJB, isn't it? It's playing guitar. Yes. And um, other fella's playing um, bass, yeah. and he's playing yeah. chords. You, yeah, that's right. He's playing chords on the bass like he will on guitar. Yes. No one's playing the guitar solo at all. No. There's a couple of good moments of kind of spikiness, if you like, towards yeah. the end when his guitar lead starts tangling him up. Mm. Um, JJB has a nice pull. There's a lovely moment as well. Did you see the bit when um, I think it, it, somebody's got their hands on the stage? Yeah, and he stamps on it. Yes. Um, <laughs> he kind of goes to the front and stamps on him. It, it, it's kind of nice. But as with Stranglers, um although yeah, they're punked up. Uh, Dave Greenfield's keyboards yeah. are the kind of thrillingly problematic spanner. Yes, in the works. Of he's that.
1: not changing instruments with Jet Black. Is a fuck <laughs> no, no.
0: no. <laughs> I mean, and he's always you know far too good a player in a sense to be a punk, and he always mm. confers this instant sixtiesness to what he plays, not yes. just in the sound of his keyboard, but in the lines and the melodies. But that said. You know, even though it's not as good as Peaches, in the context of this episode of Top of the Pops, this is weird and thrilling. And yes. I think it would have been to any punks or kids tuning in. Yeah. This is the moment when that wedges in and when mums and dads are, are probably talking about sticking them in the army or something. Yes. Um, which, which makes th- <laughs> Which makes, I mean, it makes the crowd's reaction kind of inexplicable. I don't yeah. think Top of the Pops audiences at this point have figured out how to move to music like this. No. Um, because the inevitable consequence of moving to a record like this mm. is is probably something like a mosh pit. Yeah. And The Stranglers, unlike the bands that are coming in a few years, they haven't bought their little coterie of fans with them yeah. to Top of the Pots. and
1: an ice cream van. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's not a couple of hardcore devotees down at the front to show the way. So no. the, the the crowd's reaction is, is is a little bit odd. But in the context of a pretty, I'm not going to say awful episode of Top of the Pots, but there's been precious little excitement. Mm. This is one of the most exciting moments of the show. Yeah,
3: I don't dislike this record. I mean, it's just a garage punk tune, isn't it, with a mm. just mm. enough of an edge left on it yeah pass. it's more
1: pub rock than uh frankie fucking miller yeah <laughs> that's,
3: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, i mean you know i'm no fan of the stranglers really but when you look at the pantheon of 77 punk tracks like the non-heroic ones mm. that's some pretty floppy competition really um <laughs> and the stranglers are actually up there although like you i'd rather have peaches which is musical trolling you know peaches is just a musical shit posting Um, (laughs) but i sort of like it because it's like if the doors were as stupid as they actually were but knew it (laughs) do you know what i mean and also the problem with it being this song is that is it just me who doesn't like to see groups on top of the pops and it's not the usual lead singer singing like, I know, you know, it's, it just sets bad bells ringing because yeah. all the A-sides where someone other than the usual lead singer is singing, has there ever been a good one? I can't think mm. of one, ever. I mean, Guns of Brixton wasn't a single, was it? No. There's nothing. And I don't count XTC, where the one who wasn't the main singer was better than the one who was the main singer mm. and wrote all the best
1: hits. There must
3: be one. Doesn't really
1: yeah. leap out at you, though. That wasn't a single, was it? Que Raw, by Sly and the Family Stone. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, it makes sense having JJB as the front person because before um, Generation X pitch up, he's the only one who's going to be on the center's fold of Jackie, isn't
3: it? Yeah, yeah, with his uh, Trotsky t shirt, which. Yes, uh, he's yes, to, it is. Had to half cover up like the Flying Pickets tea towel. Yeah. Trotsky's mm-hmm. still stuck in the number two slot on the Commodified <laughs> Communist Top 10 behind Shay Guevara, the everything I do, I do it for you of Oblivious consumerist
1: irony jjb's wearing a t-shirt with the pastiche of the ford logo but it says Trotsky. yeah yeah this all started in january of this year when uh, hugh Cormor was spotted at a gig by the member of the glc's public committee wearing a ford logo on his t-shirt that read fuck glc went on to force the rainbow to put a clause in their contract with the stranglers when they were about to open as support to the climax blues band which forbade them to either say or wear obscene language on stage. And (laughs) on the night of the gig, Cornwall had the same T-shirt on, which he either chose to wear or he was just living in at the time. And uh, a GLC inspector spotted it from the back of the hall with some binoculars and they just cut (laughs) the power on them. Blimey. So, yeah, if you'd have been in the know, you'd have been looking at that T-shirt and going, no, they haven't. Oh, I see what they've done there. Yeah, yeah. But they're doing a nice bit of subversion on this episode, as you pointed out, with the swapping of the instruments and the removal of the strings. But Mm. also, it appears that the BBC is so preoccupied with T-shirt slogans that they've failed to notice that Burnell's kept in the line, I'm with my friend, with Bob, having a good time. I got me some speed, and I'm doing fine. Yeah. 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 They probably thought he'd he'd got a motorbike or something. Yeah, no, exactly.
3: 10 or 15 years earlier, you could definitely imagine them getting away with singing about mm. speed because the straight and narrow people might think oh he must have been prescribed it by his doctor right. for weight loss <laughs> or listlessness <laughs> or a general sense of yeah, malaise yeah. you know uh uh, trying a mill spansels, but probably not by now but then again probably nobody who listened to this with a sensor's hat on could understand any of the words mm. you know what i mean but the thing is historically references to speed do tend to slip past the sensor yeah. in a way that references to other drugs don't there's a lot of records that were never banned that are obviously about speed. The small faces got away with singing about their dealer. Yes. He's always there when I need some speed. Mm. Uh, at a time when you could get banned from the radio, if your song had the word smoke in it, mm. even if you were yeah. actually referring to a, a senior service untipped. You yeah, know. Dexes <laughs> were named after Dexes Yes, and had a number one hit. Whose lyrics helpfully explained what that meant. Yes. I don't know if you've ever band then if you can't understand what the Stranglers are singing here, good luck deciphering Geno. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I mean
0: the thing is, is this punk rock? Probably not. The Stranglers never really were. JJB, he is though, he's punking it up in his delivery of this song. He's jumping about like almost like Jimmy Percy or something mm. and there's a slight discomfort there it don't feel right in it? because it, it's almost like a cartoon approximation yeah. of what punk rock is I guess um, because they're not quite and they never do mm. quite fit in with punk rock so it's a little forced but anything I mean we've just had fucking Neil Innes singing mm. that song you know I mean anything yes. will do at this point so so it's pretty thrilling to just have a, yeah, just have a rock and roll band doing what they do. But I would encourage, by the way, mm. people to seek out that demo from 76 because it's totally different. A yeah. lot of people, a lot of Stranglers fans prefer it. I don't. But it indicates a kind of process that's going on with the Stranglers in a sense that before 77, they had a lot of material. Yes. Now they're figuring out ways of punking it up and making it sort of current
1: and making it feel contemporary yeah. rather than just being another rock and roll band. Well, this is the thing about punk. I mean, bands are like the Stranglers, they're, they're years behind the curve and, mm. you are, a lot of the punk elite just mm. look down on them because look you're too old and you're too <laughs> proficient but punk's given them the keys to the charty kingdom mm. hasn't it it's like okay we'll do these songs but we'll be yeah, yeah, the yeah. arrogant aggressive bastards that we are anyway and here we go into the charts
3: yeah but i think what i don't like most about the stranglers apart from the the beer breath <laughs> ambience in general is that feeling that they're putting it on or taking it off you know Mm. like Mm. you know they're all about 56 (laughs) and they could play better than they let on Mm. you know and I completely understand why older proper musicians would enjoy power and simplicity over anything Mm. else and would find it genuinely refreshing and exciting that suddenly everyone was playing fast and quick Mm. and I just would like it more If they'd used their experience to create a different way of doing the same thing rather than doing exactly what a group of untutored 18 year olds would have done, except they're playing all the right notes. Mm. I mean, you know, at this point, they were probably the only punk or punkish band in Britain who could write a song with a hook line based around a circle of fifths. Mm which is this, um, and they're almost certainly the only one where you can imagine at least one of the members might know what a circle of fifths is, <laughs> even though they probably refer to them as the Hey Joe <laughs> chords, just like everybody else does.
1: And they're also the um, the only punk-adjacent band who are having no problems getting gigs. They're <laughs> yeah. about to announce their tour, and there's a bit of furore in the local papers, but it never comes to anything. They They <clears> never get banned. So, yeah, everything's coming up stranglers. But the thing is with the stranglers, I
0: mean, as letters to the music press kind of reveal, um, although aligning themselves with punk, they are liked by proper Mm. music fans, you know? And 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 that's the thing with the stranglers. I like the stranglers, but I know that they are satisfying whereas the Damned and the mm. Pistols are thrilling. And, uh, and and those are things that the Stranglers never really are, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're satisfying, they're filled out, but they'll never be as thrilling as the great punk yeah. records that are coming out this year.
3: And just before we close, can we just have a little word as usual for Dave Greenfield... Mm. They're always the hero of The Stranglers. Never has he looked more inappropriately named than in this clip. You would believe (laughs) it if somebody told you that he was something they'd dug up the night before for a (laughs) laugh and got him moving with puppet strings and uh, electrical charges. And the reason this song is so short is that his jaw keeps dropping off so they can't take any chances. No, he, he looks just delightfully half rotten. He's in a
0: green boiler suit. He he looks great.
1: Yeah, makes him look like someone's just snipped the top of a body bag (laughs) and just (laughs) sat him down in front of the keyboard. Exactly. And
3: also... A quick word for jet black who i do like because he looks like what he is a coach driver that you definitely wouldn't want to speak to while the vehicle was in motion no. or afterwards one word out of place and, uh,
1: wouldn't like to ask him where the bucket of sand was <laughs> if, uh, no. of your
3: classmates threw up in the aisle No, one word out of place and he'd fell you with richard burton drunk karate <laughs> you <ever> seen that? <laughs> it's one of my favorite clips on youtube when richard burton was really drunk like literally almost dead in the mid-70s. He did this film called uh, The Klansman, where he was in uh, America, like, f- battling the Ku Klux Klan. And there's a, a clip on YouTube of this where he has to have a fight where this good old boy starts on him and his, and his missus, and he has to kung fu him. But because he's so <laughs> drunk, he can hardly move. He just has to walk up to him with his fixed grimace with a bright purple face, and then he just kind of raises one flat hand up, and the bloke goes, Ugh! and flies through a window, you know. <laughs> it's like you've got to, yeah, yeah, put it on the playlist of course I will worth a watch
1: so the following week Peaches slash Go Buddy Go jumped four places to number 19 and continued its slow pull up the charts eventually getting to number 8 three weeks later the follow-up, Something Better change, got to number nine in August and they'd close out 1977 with No More Heroes getting to number eight in October and the LP of the same name getting to number two in the same month, held off number one by 20 Golden Greats by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Imagine the party that the, the manager of the Stranglers and the Wurzels has every Christmas. Can you imagine what the buffet's like? <laughs> oh.
3: Lots of finger food.
2: holiday time at the moment, and uh, if you go to Greece and you look for an island called Corilla, you won't find it, actually, because it's in the imagination of Demis Roussos, but for the wonders of Top of the Pulse, we'll conjure up a lovely island, and Demis, for you, right now. The winds have changed my lonely
4: and fear. I've seen the things I had to see
1: Tony still alone, reminds us that it's holiday time, but takes the opportunity to warn us about unscrupulous Greeks trying to tempt us towards islands that don't actually exist, as he introduces Kirilla by Demis Roussos. We first encountered Artimos Venturis Russos in chart music number 35, when he reprised Forever and Ever, which got to number one for a week in July of 1976. And this tune, the follow-up to Because, which got to number 39 in April of this year, is the lead track from the EP of the same name. It's been taken off his recent LP, Kirilla, Insel de Trauma, a German-only album, and it, along with a few other tracks, have been Englished up and shoved out for the Bev's and Angers of Albion to slink about to. It's not in the charts just yet, but the BBC are fully expecting it to be so. So while Demis is in the country, they've winched him into the studio. And what a spectacle. Oh, it is. I mean, <laughs>
0: no expense spared on the holiday vibe no. from the BBC props department. Um, no. What, a couple of palm trees, I think? Yes. But it, yes. But it would have impressed me. You know, I mean, I, I, the blue caftan would certainly have impressed me, but uh, oh, it, yes. it looks great. I mean, I, I just think for the longest time as a kid, I was just impressed by russos simply really? because of his size I mean much as <laughs> much as you know in the middle ages like fatness was seen as a signifier of wealth and status and all yes. that I, I did look on him not as rotund but but a winner you know somebody who could presumably have mm-hmm. as many goblin burgers and scampion and chips and Chris and pop as he wanted <laughs> you know and of course that <laughs> contrast between his physicality and um, his high-fluted uh, sort of John Anderson-style voice mm. provided a bit of novelty value. By this 77, oh, he's already well into the kind of being-parodied years, you know, the sure sign of making it. Benny Hill and, and you know, always did oh, him yes. an anonymous score. I remember a Freddie Starr routine as well, where um, Fre- <laughs> Starr was, uh, you know, doing the Dennis Russo song in, in the higher voice, and then he walks across the stage, and suddenly his voice drops, and you notice that behind him there's a bloke with a pair of pliers, Yes. <laughs> so he's getting parodied a lot. I think he is the first solo artist who was born in Africa to get a number one in the UK. I know yes. about Manfred Mann and Freddie Mercury and stuff. It's odd how he's covering this this Cameroonian song. Um, the the mm-hmm. original. Um by It Can Be Brilliant called Ilongi is a lot more interesting in its arrangement. Oh really? Yeah, and if you stumble across, by the way, any mid seventies It Can Be Brilliant records. Hoover them up, they're great. Uh Afro Funk records. But this song, Kirilla, both in its recorded version and in this uh slightly sloppier iteration by the BBC Orchestra. Mm. Oh yes. It it's aiming for this kind of yeah fernando style world music feel because he's got a great voice it kind of works there's there is that bring your package holiday home yes feel to this
1: you know to my mind it's massively unfair that the germans heard about this mystical island before us because you know that means they've already got their towels on the best sunline. but seeing as tony's (laughs) told us that the island doesn't actually exist that well that's the germans fucked isn't it that meant a lot in 1977 I mean, 1977 was the year of the fake island, wasn't it? Because, you know, two months earlier, The Guardian devoted eight pages of its April the 1st edition to a supplement on the island of Sansa All right.
0: <laughs> this didn't exist
1: either. Yeah, it really went for it. But this song... Well,
0: there's a question we can ask about a lot of the songs on this episode. What's it doing yeah. on this show? It's a non-chart mm. record. Um, yes. Why is that happening? What is it about the Jubilee that has made this happen? Yeah. Um and, and this ain't very jubilish. Oh very much no. No.
1: Unless it's for the Queen's husband, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, another question, what the fuck has he
3: got on his feet? Oh. Oh man. lovely, yeah. Shiny red knee boots with a cheeky heel. Basically, yes. it looks like if <laughs> Superman one day said, Oh to hell with a lot of you. <laughs> McConnell's aggro boy's kick to kill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's this weird combination of platforms and kind of Ronald McDonald
3: shoes. Um,
1: Yeah, they're very Pigeon Street, aren't they? they they? Yeah,
3: he he cuts quite an impressive figure, Mm. doesn't he? Mm. All round.
1: Yeah, not so much a dash, more of a gouge.
3: (laughs) I'm sort of half certain that this is the clip I saw as a kid actually, because that's stuck in my head. It's exactly how I remember first seeing Demis Roussos. And, you know, yeah, I appreciate that in terms of his presentation, he was very much the non-chameleon of pop. Um, (laughs) But there's something familiar in a very deep way about this particular combination of sound and picture and the fronds, because he made a mark on the very young me, you know. I was half disturbed and half intrigued (laughs) by the sound... And the look and the movement, the way he always had a fan on him, you Mm. know, Mm. um, the the foreign sound. And I remember asking my mum why does he wear those clothes? And mm. she said, because he's so fat. Um, <laughs> and I, I got it into my head somehow, uh, linking it in my brain with a, a, another clip that had fired my imagination and worried me a little bit, that perhaps Demis Roussos had jumped up and down on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, um, <laughs> and that was what sent it wobbly. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe these two unnerving things were connected. I mean, I didn't actually think that had happened, but in my head, those two things got mixed up to the point where it was all I could think about. And yet here he is still smiling beatifically, uh, despite having wreaked so much terrible destruction.
0: <laughs>
3: Do you know how old he is at the time? Oh, uh,
0: I'm guessing um, 36, I'm going to say. Thirty-one. Oh, mm. ah, that changes things. He's not looking great, then, is he? No.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, it's thirty-one in nineteen seventy-seven, Monet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, to me, Demis Roussos—you just saw him and just went, "Oh, yeah, that's Demis Roussos." You didn't think, "Oh my God, look at that enormous fat man." No, no, no. You know, there was plenty of people knocking about who looked like Demis Roussos. Oh, yeah, mainly men. <laughs> mm.
3: But yeah, yeah, no, the, yeah, the bloke who sold you a brown paper bag full of plums probably look like Demis Roussas. <laughs> exactly. My only problem is that whenever I hear a song by Demis Roussas that isn't one of the famous or good ones and isn't by Aphrodite's child, mm. all I can think of is the film L'ultimo treno della notte, also known as uh, Night Train Murders. Um, right. And also known as Don't Ride on Late Night Trains. It's a classier offering <laughs> than most of the don't movies right? these are instructionally titled horror films right which (laughs) urgently advised us against going into the basement looking out of the window going into the house and so on
1: yeah but what if you live in the stockbroker belt and this film's only on at the west end and you didn't want to bring the car out
3: yeah yeah, you, good you're point.
1: fucked, aren't you? Good point.
3: But yeah, it, look, this film is a bit grubby. It's a a blatant remake of Wes Craven's uh, Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, as acknowledged in the original title, L'ultimo treno della <laughs> notte, the last train of the night. But the English uh, translators just work too fast to spot that, you know. Mm. Even though Last House on the Left itself was a blatant remake of Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, which itself is a implausible story that's centuries old, Um, and it doesn't get much more believable when, as in, l'ultimo treno della notte, you put it on a train in Europe Mm. in the 70s. But, incredibly enough the first thing that you experience when you watch this very unpleasant film the key events of which are too gruesome to detail even on a broad minded podcast like this (laughs) and and which was actually banned in the UK until relatively recently under the absurd video nasty moral panic laws which made it a crime to sell or purchase it and any copy in your possession could be confiscated by the Vice Squad it's just a low budget horror film but the Mm. first thing that you hear is the theme song A Flower's All You Need by Demis Rousseau co-written by Oscar winning composer Ennio Morricone which gives you some insight into relative British and European attitudes to low budget exploitation Mm, films at the time even those that are so transparently desperate to shock that the opening scenes Show the baddies attacking a department store Father Christmas, which uh, <laughs> happens more often than you might expect, including in l'ultimo trenno della notte, but there he is singing the theme to this 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 vomit splurge of <laughs> sexualized violence and elementary emotional switch flicking the russos phenomenon himself Mm. singing this song that goes tell the world i saw a man fall in the street and die and just where he fell for love grows a flower a big red flower like the blood he shed for love and peace wow find a way to live your dreams you'll make it if you try for love can't be wrong your dreams will come true If you don't want to die before you get a bed of love, you never had with your love. Beautiful words, man. Right. Which might seem oddly inappropriate lyrics to any viewer of this film. No. Although the main refrain goes, sing a song, sing an everlasting song, which does feel quite appropriate when you're listening to it. But the thing is, I may just be showing my... Ignorance here of middle of the road Greek pop, but that song is almost indistinguishable from this song, mm, right. at least in my memory. So when I hear this. I subconsciously brace myself in preparation (laughs) for traumatic sights, which in the context of this episode is actually quite fortunate as we'll see
1: (laughs) yeah I mean they've obviously got him in early because he's in the country but oh they've served him poorly here haven't they they've just got a few trees from fucking Habitat (laughs) and bunged them in the studio and they've got some kind of yellow moon in a blue sky in the background and yeah that's pretty much it One of the motifs of this episode of Top of the Pops, there's a lot of sweeps of the camera behind things, whether it's trees or bits of the set. So there's times when we don't see anything for about two or three seconds it's like someone stalking Top of the Pops and also
0: I mean this whole episode
1: feels not like a bodge
0: job but it's a bit cheapskate to be honest with you it's like they've shat all their money BBC Entertainment budget has just shat it all on that Nationwide on on the Nationwide Jubilee special obviously
1: but of course (laughs) yes yeah But well money well spent (laughs) but yeah I mean at the time and even now Greece might as well be Mars to me Mm. and my family because our holidays were Chapel St Leonard's and I think this year we went went to Mablethorpe, Golden Sands.
3: Oh, get you. My
1: nono got an earwig in her ear and uh, turned her half deaf. Really? And uh, yeah, we got charged 50p for a a broken cup, which we hadn't broke. (sighs) And my mum tried to bite off them so she could smash it in front of them so they couldn't rip off anyone ever again. (laughs) I got one of them big cat's head things made of uh, toffee apple, (laughs) whatever, to lick on the way back. And I ended up throwing up all over the back of me dad's neck. So yeah. Not the best holiday that year. Golden memories. But I wanted to go to Kirilla anyway, because you know, he's singing about the sky and the sea and all that boring shit. Where's the amusement arcade? Where's the chip shops? Where's the clubs that kids were allowed into where they had blue comedians on? No, mate, not having it. So the following week, Kirilla entered the charts at number fifty, then soared seventeen places to number thirty-three, but got no further. The follow-up, Life in the City, was given a run-out on Top of the Pops in April of 1978, but did fuck all, and he never troubled the charts again. But he remained an endless subject of fascination in the tabloids. Here, chaps, is a tasteful article in the Daily Mirror that doesn't allude to sizeism in the slightest. From this November, £30,000 winks in the mink. For Demis Roussos, the glamorous Greek, money is just a big, big yawn. To prove it, the 17-stone singing colossus trundled into a (laughs) London store yesterday and bought a giant mink-lined bed for £30,000. Gross. Does it actually say gross? Yes. Oh, my no. <laughs> oh, God! Yeah.
3: That's £35,000 in today's money. <laughs> Perhaps even more.
1: The falsetto-voiced pop star plans to take the Super Bowl – fuck knows what they mean there mm. – on a world warbling tour. And since it measures a jumbo size 8 foot 6 inches by 8 foot, there should just be about enough room for his pretty eight-stone wife Dominique to climb (laughs) aboard too. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, they're sure to enjoy setting off on a luxury snooze. (laughs) That's actually about £142,338 today. Wow. On a bed. That's impressive.
3: I like how the subtext of that article basically is... But how do they actually do it?
0: Mm. Yes. And also making it seem as if, you know, when Demis Roussos goes on tour, he has to be, like, winched into a cargo plane or something to get anywhere. Yeah.
1: 17 stoner, that's not that much nowadays, is it? No.
3: I know, but, I mean, these were the days before high-fructose corn syrup. Yeah, yeah. Mm,
1: Yeah, Yeah, only pop stars could afford that.
2: two ladies here who, uh, well, you come from Blackburn, do you? What a very sensible place to come from. And I'm sure you've had a street party, so why don't we join the party now with Honky...
1: is finally allowed to mix with the maidens of the studio audience. All flick back hair and paper baseball caps that have been pushed back so far they look like cast members of the Young Doctors. (laughs) He tells us that he has two ladies here but he only bothers to talk to one of them as she comes from Blackburn. Presumably the other one lives in Bury St Edmunds, I don't know. (laughs) He's convinced that they had a street party without even asking if they actually had and then awkward Winces at his tenuous link and waits for the video machine to kick in and play join the party by honker formed in southampton in 1975 honker a fucking (laughs) honker this appears to be their debut single on creole records and came out in march of this year catalogue number cr137 uh the the label is orangey brown at the top (laughs) with a 50 percent graduated fade into a goldy color seriously chaps that's pretty much the total result of my research on these bastards i couldn't find anything else
0: well first off i just want to say something extra about what tony does oh please do i mean am i wrong did i mishear this he says blackburn's a very sexual place
3: Does he say that? I think he says a very sensible place.
0: Does he say sensual? It's right (laughs) on the edge. And he gives this little sort of grimace. (laughs) Yeah. before it cuts the video, where he realises he might have put his foot in it there. He's
1: thinking about them 4,000 holes, isn't
3: he? Yeah. There's <laughs> a little little deflated sort of... And his mm. posture sags. It does. It, it's a real sort of, that didn't go well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. But that
3: does set us up nicely for Honky. Mm.
1: After a couple of months in general circulation, they were drafted in to performance on Top of the Pops almost a month ago. And two weeks later, it's entered the chart at number 43 then jumped 12 places to number 31 and this week it's only moved up one place to number 30 but what does that matter to Robin Nash who's clearly putting any old shit on this week (laughs) so here is a repeat of their previous performance and fucking hell the state of it
3: yeah this is a band that seems to have slipped through a hole in everybody's memory and as your intro suggests are now essentially Google proof Mm. but if nothing else, they do make you sit up. Oh, yes. Like ECT. <laughs> I mean, basically, this is two man unsound.
4: <laughs> yes. Um,
3: we have to start off by talking about what they look like, i.e., yes. breathtaking and horrifying. Mm. It's a mm. stage full of misshapen uncles in full flight. <laughs> going for the of flag the singer has got a face that makes you think you might need glasses <laughs> or if you wear glasses a face that makes you want to take them off <laughs> his black throat singing is so absurdly Ooh. exaggerated that oh it would have made it? sandy shore a bit uncomfortable
1: yeah it is proper 90s pot noodle advert black voice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll have a baby (laughs) sham.
3: And he dances like he's wearing stilts, Mm. um, which is very suspicious as he also dresses like he's wearing stilts.
1: He's got some massive billowy white Saxons on, hasn't he? Fucking hell.
3: Yeah, and... His constant violent and rhythmic crotch thrusting makes you feel like you're being threatened with a licorice (laughs) comfit. It's not comfortable. Then there's the horn section of Watson, Keegan and Hoddle um, (laughs) in the kind of socks people wear in lieu of having a personality. Yeah, they're mad Catwoman socks, aren't they? Oh, God, yeah. There's a drummer who looks like the secret brother that John Travolta keeps in the loft. (laughs) A bass player who actually appears to be Pete Townsend, Brandy edition in a joke shop wig. A a genuinely uncanny and unsettling likeness, but not half as uncanny or unsettling, I think you know what I'm about to say, as Mm. the fact that on lead guitar is the Yorkshire Ripper. (laughs) Yes. Hiding in plain sight yes. i guess nobody recognized him without the tuxedo and dicky boat <laughs> or the blanket over his head
1: if you've been driving in a La laura <laughs> waving a crisp five pound note
3: yeah i mean i know it's not nice but this can't be ignored this man beat dave lee travis in the second place in a Peter yes. Sutcliffe look-alike contest <laughs> lends a certain visual menace to honky hmm. which quite yeah. frankly they were not in need of <laughs>
1: Yeah, the brass line, they, they just look like a packet of fruit pastels, don't they? <laughs> they actually look like Hector or uh, any other third division glam band. And it's like, oh, come on, Daddy, get with the program. It's 1977. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I couldn't yeah. actually notice much of the rest of the band because the lead singer, oh, his face. Great oven. I mean, he looks like sort of Brian Tilsley's Klingon brother. Um, and it's I mean it's no accident actually whilst we're on a sci fi thing. He also looks like Charles Napier, aka Adam, the singing leader of the hippie group in the way of Weedon episode of Star Trek. Ooh. But the problem is, I mean, beyond the slight vocal blackface of his you know, black throat of his vocal, as Taylor's identified with his crotch movements, he's trying to be sexy. And in yeah. fact when he twirls his totally inconsiderable packet in a sort of bawdy simulation of stand up sex, it inevitably I mean perhaps. it's just me but it makes you visualize just horrible stuff you know Mm. three things for me one him looking down at you, grinning maniacally as he plows into oh. the vinegar strokes, Two Oh, with his lad in his hand, well, this is wanting it. you to degrade yourself. Yeah, or number two, him looking it's up at you. That's a good mental image,
1: Pop Crazy well, Youngsters. Yeah.
0: Or him looking up at you as his nasty afro chafes your thighs. Or oh. in, in a scenario that I must admit, I perversely and masochistically spun myself into, <laughs> um, him... Andy McCluskey and Roger Daltrey, all staring at me in a club, a lascivious leer creeping wow. over their face <laughs> as they plan to pull the ultimate intercity repellents train on me. Um, he's just <laughs> vile.
1: He's just vile. Watch your backs, Neil.
3: Yeah, <laughs> bummer, Cerberus.
1: I mean, the problems
0: start really with the name. I mean, you know, mm. the, I mean, the average shite band. There's this
1: sense in the name. Yeah, they are Panda Pop's Wild Cherry, aren't they? They are. <laughs>
0: But there's a lot of that about at the time. I mean, just like AWB, they're heading off accusations of cultural appropriation from the off, I guess. But you know what next? White motherfuckers here with
1: their song. (laughs) Honké, Taylor, has anyone called you Honké? No, I've been called a white cunt, which was preferable, really. I mean, honky, to me, means um, fingers girlfriend in nuts in May. Oh. She should have been on the side dancing to this. <laughs> hey, honk, look at them bleeding bluebells. Blade <laughs> millions on them.
0: There's a fair few artists who call themselves honky over this. I remember a mid-90s hip-hop troupe called Honky. Right. Um, who did an album called Culture, I think, which was actually fucking ace. No. But it's, it's a repeated... Trick. He got thrown about at the playground, but it just bounces off, doesn't it? He- that was a really frustrating thing, though, Al. You know, as somebody who needed, obviously, words to come back with for, for mm. stuff that I was called, there, there weren't many. Honky was one, Bird Shit was another. Oh, that's a good you one. You know, but but they weren't satisfying... Um, in the way that the racial epithets throw my way presumably were to the the people who said them. I mean, out of the honky songs, you know, actually, you know, inevitably, like Taylor says, they're very Google proof and you can find scant sort of uh, tracks by them anywhere can't sit down with their other single I think and that's a better call than the gang rip off right slightly I would also uh, if you get a chance and you're on YouTube and you're intrigued by the honky phenomenon mm. there's a video called join the party TV television special 76 yeah. which is basically it's, it's like a, it's join the party this track with Mm. accompanying visuals um it seems like a home video in a way which is odd for 76 obviously Mm. it's weird because obviously you know they're a funk unit but they've filmed a video like an indie band from the mid 80s it's all done down the park and they're on
4: swings
0: (laughs) (laughs) and there's sort of comedy bits reverse bits totally sexist bits as well they've managed to persuade a couple of dolly birds to dance with them and they occasionally carry them off to the woods in a caveman way Mm. it's actually a really poignant snapshot of something um, yeah. It's a it's a snapshot of a band who are about to, in a sense, make it. You know, mm-hmm. they sell 40,000 copies of this record and they're all necking champagne and stuff. It's just a nice little snapshot of those times. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's just some Super 8 film yeah. edited together to this song. But yeah, for a start, it makes it clear to the point of utter desolation that in mid-1970s Britain... Even being a successful pop group could look about as cheerful and glamorous (laughs) as having your sub post office robbed by Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther. Um, It's all unwashed wranglers and creosoted garden fences and a a plain grey judgmental Mm. sky you know and and this is the six week period when honky were all the rage you know remembered by them like it lasted a decade Mm. I'm sure mostly spent I would imagine drinking warm beer out of small cans (laughs) in a artex ceilinged room at the back of Southampton Polytechnic, yeah. you know, dressed in singlets and dried sweat.
1: Those cans with a really fucking hard ring pulls to get off.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Two lads with a spiral bound notebook hanging around, saying, nah, "How did you get the name Honky?" Mm. You know, Glory Days. I just they they should actually call themselves Hanky. Um, yes. <laughs> plain square tucked out of sight and then when you retrieve and unfold it you're staring at the gross waste product <laughs> of humanity ready to be swept away in the wash and the terrible thing is they're really good musicians mm. and they're all they've obviously rehearsed loads and loads and loads and, and should they ever have passed through alberta canada they might reasonably have been able to call themselves the funkiest band in medicine hat mm. tonight <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things it's a bit lacking isn't it yeah. there's a bit in this song where he starts to lecture us uh, on what soul is about mm. because when a band can all play this way and our Clearly marinated in funk and soul music, mm. and yet sound as stiff and, and, and as pale yeah. as honky. There's some explaining to do. Mm. You know, <laughs> this is one of those records that would sound a lot better if it was worse. Do you know what mm. I mean? If it had been this peppy and had this much front, but it was as malformed and broken and semi-functional as their. Big English faces. You could get with that. Mm. That would be interesting. But it's that cellophane layer of, of slick competence that just seals this up yeah. and renders it literally useless mm.
1: in five years time they could have been level 42 yeah. and just dressed up as themselves and got on with it and people would have accepted it but because it's 1977 if you're playing this kind of music you've got to try to look the part at the very least and have a jokey name that alludes to your whiteness
0: yeah. unlike say level 42 who are using funk I don't know I'm not saying Mark King was talking about his situation Mm. But there was no attempt to sound American in his vocal, no, necessarily. Exactly. Whereas this is, yeah, this or is black. pure. This is pure black throat. Mm. Yeah, as Taylor says, it's fairly worthless. I think it's been undiscovered, though, of course, by hip-hop producers, because it's got a groove. Yes. They, they they can summon up a groove, the bass and yeah. the drums and everything else. It works. But, yeah, um, as a performance, it, it's, it's actually grotesque.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for positives... Um, the backing vocals are great good work there by the two Pete's and I like the synth squiggles that they've plastered all over it in a semi-successful attempt to liven the thing up a bit Mm. and good for them that they just did this and then melted away you know, yeah. they weren't like, right, said, Fred. You imagine when Ugh. I'm Too Sexy came out, if someone said to you, in 30 years' time, God, they'll yeah. still be controversial. Why? Yeah, yeah. Oh, because of their dangerously arrogant stupidity. Oh, <laughs> um, right. <laughs> why, so why are they still getting attention? Because of their dangerously arrogant stupidity. Alright, yeah. I don't understand this new century. No, neither do we. <laughs> right, so Fred have got a new record out getting play on Might Read Heritage Chart Of course. With a cartoon video about how we're all being spoon-fed disinformation by the <laughs> MSM, like robot sheep, you know. And there's a bit where a TV appears and it says on it, Tell television oh think about it yeah google operation northwoods look <laughs> this time traveler has a mobile phone in a picture from 1906 <laughs> you're all so blind so blind! I bet you don't get any of that from the surviving members of Honky, no. if any.
1: No, they just want to throw out videos of their old photos on YouTube when they're stripped at the waist and a bit too close to each other. Put the caption: "We weren't gay." Yeah. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah, important in case was they're in Superdrug today picking up their prescriptions. Some, <laughs> some homosexuals might rush in and attempt to fuck them up the arse. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a bit yeah, yeah, to protest it. too much in it. That yeah,
3: bit. but yeah. You know, at the end of the day, they may look like the contents of a crate marked for euthanasia in a section of the Wonderland Zoo that's closed to the public. (laughs) But at least their only message to humanity was, come on, get up and join the party, them and the late Dr.
4: Goebbels.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty obvious at this point that Robin Nash is just bonging anything Oh, oh, yeah. This is a repeat of a performance from a month ago a month what's going on wow. robin it's a rush
0: job it feels this yeah episode at times it's a rush it's job.
1: like oh jubilee 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 oh there's nothing we go we can't use that we can't use that oh party yes chuck it in yeah, yeah
3: anyone would think there's a, a a currently popular record in the charts that for some reason they can't <laughs> use
1: so the following week join the party moved up two places to number 28 but would get no further the follow-up, give all you got, failed to chart And they were never seen or heard of ever again Sorry to say this pop crazed youngsters, but we're gonna have to leave you for a bit. But trust me, our hearts are staying right here with you, the pop craze youngsters. So come and join us tomorrow for the thrilling denouement of this episode of Top of the Pops. I'm Al Needham, they're Taylor Parks and Neil Culcane, and you are staying pop crazed. <laughs>
2: chart music